Well, I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. No, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll get to 5 eventually, Lord willing. Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at uh, verses uh, 26 to 27 this morning. All right, Ephesians 4, uh, we'll start reading at verse 25 down through the end of the chapter, and then we'll consider uh, just verses 26 and 27. Before we read it and look at it, I invite you to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, as we uh, come face to face with uh, what uh, the Holy Spirit inspired men to write, uh, a word that is timeless, a word that is necessary for us, a word that is from you, directly from our God, we we ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit to know what it is that you'd have us to know. Uh, what we don't realize, we pray that you would teach us. What we are not, we pray that you would make us so that we might be a people formed into the image of Christ, doing those good works which you've prepared beforehand. And we ask that if we don't know you, that you would draw us to yourself. For Jesus' sake, amen. Ephesians 4 at verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, just one more time, verses 26 and 27. Be angry. And do not sin, <clears throat> do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here uh, this morning, <clears throat> anger is uh, an interesting thing. It has destroyed uh, countless marriages and countless relationships, and it's also the very thing that saved many marriages and many relationships. Anger can destroy relationships, but anger also can motivate people to actually uh, pursue a relationship and pursue reconciliation and restoration of that relationship. Uh, anger has destroyed countless lives in war. Uh, it started many wars, people getting angry that they don't get their way, rulers, people in authority, uh, being angry at other nations and going to war. I, uh, think of it, uh, uh, Russia in particular destroyed countless lives, right? Between the 19-teens and the early 50s when uh, Lenin, but then mainly Stalin, were in, were in power. Tens of millions of Russians killed. Just a phenomenal number of people wiped out due to anger, uh, rage. Anger has also uh, ended wars and brought peace. Plenty of people in the Allied forces, for example, World War II, angry at what Hitler's doing, tired of what he's doing, going to put an end to it. Lots of angry people, but, but angry in a good way, hopefully, trying to bring about uh, the end of Hitler's reign and the Nazis' reign. So anger is kind of like fire. Uh, if, it, if it's burning in your car engine, right, <laughs> and the engine's working well, if it's in your fireplace, 
If it's in your stove, if you have a gas stove and it's controlled, anger does great things, tremendous things. But put anger in a forest, in a dry forest, uh, put it in your house uncontrolled, and all of a sudden you have a total disaster. And what we find in this passage is that indeed there is a place for anger, but, but, it's, but, it, but it's only a certain place, and it's only anger of a certain kind. And I want us to just walk through the, these two verses kind of phrase by phrase, and uh, uh, we'll apply it and uh, look at some things as we do. So first, uh, notice uh, verse 26, uh, the, the, the verse begins with, be angry. Now, uh, the word angry, uh, there, there is a word that we're going to look at later on, I think verse 31, that has to do with blowing one's top, the losing it, uh, uh, flipping your lid, whatever you want to call it, uh, where someone is just out there, they, they've totally lost it. That's not necessarily the words used here. Now, that, th- 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 this is a nuance of meaning. Uh, you can blow your top, this word can describe that, but it's not necessarily the emphasis here. The two words described uh, here have more to do with a settled anger, an anger that looks like resentment, more of a calculated hatred, going out of one's way to, uh, to make someone else's life uh, miserable. Um, and that's the kind of anger we're commanded uh, 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 to have, actually. Um, uh, be angry at, at certain things. So what is not in view here is, is this explosive anger, blow your top anger, but more of a settled anger, and we're commanded to have it. <laughs> this is actually a quote directly from Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. It's a direct quote of that. And I want us to notice that we're commanded to have a certain kind of anger. Obviously, the Lord is not commanding here a fit of rage. He's not saying go out and <laughs> uh, uh, instead of joy of fruit of the Spirit, go out and let's just be angry at everybody and everything all the time, every single day, for any reason, uh, from the moment we get up to the time we go to bed. Rather, he's requiring of us a settled conviction against injustice, anger against sin, anger against things which are going against God's glory, anger at the devil, anger at, anger at things which are just not part of His creation. One of the greatest signs of lack of love is actually indifference. Uh, sometimes we can look at anger and say, well, that just means that someone doesn't love you. Actually, one of the greatest signs of lack of love is indifference. Uh, you have a one-year-old child walking out in the middle of the street, and the parent just kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, oh, no big deal. <laughs> oh, well. You know, that would, that would just be totally unloving. That, the parent wouldn't love that child at all. If you, if you see your child in the middle of the street, you're going to be angry, right? It's going to motivate you. Oh, you're going to be yelling, running out there. Uh, you're worried. Anger can actually denote love. I remember uh, I've told some of you this. When I was at Central College, I played football there for uh, one year. Uh, it was a disaster. <laughs> I, on pad, they didn't even know what the uniform looked like, how to put it on. But we had a, I was on, uh, on the offensive line, and Coach Edwards um, uh, would always come out, and if he came out in a black Mizuno, everybody knew it was going to be a horrible day. Uh, and, and when he came out, he would just be yelling, getting on people, but there were certain people he never yelled at, and there were certain people that he never touched. He never bothered to cross them, never bothered to get in their face. And, and what the upperclassmen figured out and told all of us who were younger is, if he doesn't get in your face and he's not angry with you, he thinks you're worthless. He's not going to waste his time. In other words, if he's indifferent to you, he doesn't care about you at all. But if he's getting in your face, he sees potential. So you actually wanted him to yell at you, strangely enough. <laughs> that, was, that was supposed to be a mark of, of potential in you. If you love someone, beloved, you will be angry 
Anger is a good thing. It can be a very good thing. Uh, uh, the more you love someone, the more you are angry at things which oppose your loved one. And you can see this no more clearly than in God's love for us, right? God loves us so much, he, he's, he's angry when we sin. And, and His love is displayed at the cross, right? How much does God love us? So much that He would pour out His anger on His Son so that we could be redeemed. That's how much God loves us. He deals with His anger. So anger is indeed a good thing, can be a good thing. To love God at all means we'll be angry when His name is not glorified. We'll be angry with the devil when we see him trying to destroy the church. Uh, you can think of Paul in Galatians, the letter to Galatians. He wanted the Judaizers, those people who had twisted the gospel, to actually emasculate themselves. Uh, that, that's not uh, just small language. <laughs> he meant it. I, I hope that they do something absolutely nasty. He was angry. Again, a good anger. Uh, God is angry. Mark 3, 5, Jesus looked around at them, the Pharisees, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Christ was angry. He went in and cleared out the temple. Uh, we're not told with this word that he was angry, but... But obviously, there was a righteous anger. Zeal for the Lord's house had consumed him because it was a house of prayer, not supposed to be a house filled with money changers who are trying to make money off people. Jesus was angry with the Pharisees, denounced them in Matthew 23 all throughout his life, but especially in Matthew 23, just let him have it. Woe to you because he's after God's glory. And the Pharisees were twisting around God, his character, the gospel to mean something totally different. And he says, when you guys finally make a convert, you make them twice a child of hell as they were before. So Jesus was angry with them. God is, is angry with sin. You remember David's census in 2 Samuel 24, 70,000 people died. Remember the, uh, the rebellion in Numbers 16, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, uh, all the households swallowed up. And we see uh, God's anger most clearly at Calvary when we see God dealing with sin. Uh, putting Jesus on the cross, putting him there, and then making him pay for our sins. That's how much God hates sin. He will deal with it in his only begotten son. It wasn't you and me on the cross, an enemy of God. It wasn't Satan on the cross. It was Jesus, the only begotten son of God on the cross. And God brought down wrath upon him to deal with our sin. That's how much God hates sin. Psalm 97.10, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Clearly, there's nothing inherently sinful, what, is, what I'm trying to prove here just briefly, about being angry. Being angry is a good thing. We're made in God's image. Uh, God is a God of justice, so as human beings, you're going to see anger all over the place because we're made in His image, and no matter how distorted or twisted that image is, if we're lost, there's still an ounce of justice in there. So when we see things that are wrong, Human beings naturally get angry because they have a sense of right and wrong, right? We get, we get angry when we see something wrong. How much more so in Christians? When we, have, when we know right from wrong, when we know uh, what is good and what is not good, we're going to be angry because we have a sense of justice. Well, that's not right, we say, and we get angry about it. That's not the way it should be. You can't treat somebody like that. You can't do that. And indeed, we can get angry some people will uh, say, and I, I well, let me, let me just back up here just for a second. Be angry. What, what things should we be angry at? This. Be angry at abortion. Be angry that people are killing small children in the womb. That, that's something that should arouse our anger. 
Be angry at a husband or wife who's abusing their spouse. Be angry at adults who are abusing sexually, verbally, physically their children or other children that, aren't, that don't belong to them. Be angry at government officials who abuse their power. Be angry at those who take advantage of the elderly and the weak and the widows and the orphans. Be angry at backbiting, gossip that can tear relationships apart and destroy churches. And maybe this is the big, be angry at your own sin. Anger is a great motivator. It can spring us into action. When we're angry at, at our own sin, we're like, I, I'm, I'm angry that I'm doing this. I need, to, I need to do something about this to turn around. Those are all good things that we can be angry about. But then right on the heels, as if the Holy Spirit knows our propensity to sin <laughs> and knows how, how quickly anger can go backwards and awry, we're told, be angry and don't sin. Don't sin. That's, that's the very next caveat. It's not a verse later. <laughs> it's just be angry, really short, but don't sin. This is where most of us run into trouble, where uh, most of us Christians run into trouble. Uh, we're supposed to be angry at certain things, upset, distraught, grieving in our spirits over certain things, but we're not supposed to do it sinfully. We're not supposed to be uh, sinful in our anger. We might do well to ask, when does anger become sinful? Uh, one of, there, there are numerous uh, things we can look at. I want to look at just a few. Uh, number one, when we lose control, then our anger is sinful, when we lose control. Out-of-control out of anger is simply sinful. Uh, Paul uh, calls them fits of rage, says that we ought not to have them in our life. Uh, you know the scene, uh, red face, the, the looks that could kill literally, yelling words at the top of the lungs, or no words at all, just the silent treatment. Uh, that, that, that is anger out of control. We call it rage, um, and wherever it is in our lives, we need to be repenting of it. Every time it occurs, it's simply sinful. Because as Christians, we're called to be slow to anger, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, or it's long-suffering. It, it suffers long. It doesn't, it doesn't blow its top, but it suffers long. And self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. With the Holy Spirit working in us, we can actually control uh, things, uh, we're not just thrown out there like a city without walls, no self-control, where whenever the devil walks in, he can penetrate. No, there's self-control is like a wall around us. When, when the devil comes in to try and get a foothold in our life, or when anger comes in, we can say, no, the wall is up. I'm, I'm not going to go down that route. Uh, we have a spirit, indeed, of self-control. And sometimes we might be tempted to think in our own lives if we wrestle with anger, you know what, I just can't help it sometimes. I, I just can't help it. I, I, I wish I could, but there's nothing I can do. Uh, I, I, I might push back on that a little bit in my own life and in your life uh, by, by thinking about it this way. If you were blowing it with, at home with your spouse, your kids, or you were blowing it somewhere where you felt like you could, and all of a sudden the Associated Press showed up with the full camera crew uh, and on live national television with 20 million viewers, and they walked into your house and said, how are you today? Uh, my guess is that every single one of us in that instance, no matter how heated we were, would immediately settle down because we don't want 20 million Americans or people all over the world saying, wow, look at that, right? That tells us something. What does it tell us? We can control our anger. It, if we would settle down in that moment or our best friend would walk in the room at the moment when we're really upset, or someone that we wouldn't want us to see be angry, if we, if we could settle down at all in that moment that tells us we can control it, but we just don't want to or we don't feel like we have to, which is a dangerous spot to be in. 
Because this passage tells us clearly, be angry, but don't sin. Don't do it. It should have no part of the Christian life, period. Sinful anger should not have any part in the Christian life. So uh, some, uh, something else to uh, consider uh, by ways of uh, when our anger becomes sinful is that it becomes sinful when we use it to get our own way. Now, James 1.19, I think, is instructive here. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometimes we use our anger to get our own way. Uh, we have our angry outbursts, and they can certainly do something. Uh, if, if, we're, if we get angry at somebody around us, it will likely motivate them to do something. They, they might be motivated to get out of the room. They might be motivated, all right, I'm going to go do what they, what they asked me to do to get them off my back. We can actually accomplish our will in many ways using anger. And in fact, if you go out into the world, that's what you see a lot. Angry people, and what happens oftentimes, they get their way. Uh, because there's a whole set of personalities that say, well, if somebody's this angry about it, I'm just going to let it go under the rug and not worry about it. And they can have their own way and on I go. So we can use anger to get our own way. And when we do that, it's sinful, beloved. When we're, when we're simply exploding or, or giving people the silent treatment just to manipulate and control them, uh, we have to know that it does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, that may produce our own result. It may produce what we want. But our lives are supposed to be about what God wants, godliness, the righteousness of God. And so if we're using anger to get our own way, um, uh, we're in sin and need to repent. Uh, think about the times when you get angry. Are you angry? Am I angry? Mainly because we're inconvenienced or because somebody isn't doing exactly what we want them to do, even though they don't have to, but we want them to do it because it'll make our lives better or easier or it'll help us stay on schedule or it'll, it'll, it'll just make our lives more comfortable. If we're angry for those reasons because our lives are inconvenienced and we want others to make our lives more comfortable, that, that's sinful. And we should, we should turn around from that. That's not a godly kind of anger. Our anger should seek the glory of God and the good of others. That's a good thing. But not our own comfort, not our own convenience, not our own way. And when else can we know that anger is sinful? When it seeks revenge. Maybe this is the, the, the best way to know. Uh, Romans 12, 17, Paul puts it this way, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There isn't a place for revenge in the Christian life. Uh, no place. No place for vengeance. So we know our anger is out of control when we start to think, so-and-so did this or did, they did this to someone or to me and I'm going to get them back, and I'm going to make them pay. And the Lord comes right into that situation. You know what he says? Uh-uh-uh, vengeance is mine. I will repay. See, we start thinking, no, I'm going to pay them back. And the Lord says, uh-uh, it's not your place. I'm going to pay them back. And when the Lord on the last day repays what needs to be repaid, and when he takes vengeance, beloved, not one of us are going to say, well, that wasn't fair. I still, I still want to do more. Because God is perfectly just, and he will deal with us in a far wiser and more perfect way than we ever could in our anger. And so part of this is learning to actually trust that, that God will do what is right. You know, even from the world's perspective, the world realizes that forgiveness rather than revenge is actually a, 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 an incredible thing. 
uh, one writer, Lawrence Stern, an 18th century Irish uh, novelist, wrote this, only the brave know how to forgive. It's the most refined and generous element of human virtue. Cowards have done good deeds and performed kind acts. Cowards have even fought and conquered. But a coward never forgives. It's not in his nature or his heart. The power to forgive flows only from a strengthened greatness of soul. And he goes on to describe uh, just how brave it is to forgive. So that you have this, uh, even, even in, the, in the world around us, people realize, uh, 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 even apart from the gospel, that it's brave to forgive rather than take revenge. Instead of getting back to them, forgive them. Uh, forgiveness is healthy, some people will say, in, in the world. Mayo Clinic, actually, there's Mayo Clinic staff wrote an article entitled Forgiveness, Letting Go of Grudges and Bitterness, and in it, they talk about the benefits of forgiveness. Here's a few. Healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. So, beloved, uh, not taking revenge uh, and forgiving is actually, it's braver and it's healthier. The world realizes this. But for a Christian, there's a greater reason to forgive, actually, rather than take revenge. And I think we see that really clearly, especially in a passage like Matthew 18, where the one uh, servant had been forgiven 10,000 talents, and he went off, and he went away from the presence of the king. And he actually strangled the servant who owed him 100 denarii, his own servant, just a pittance compared to 10,000 talents. You're comparing billions and trillions of dollars to thousands of dollars. And he had just totally lost track of how much he had been forgiven. He strangled the guy and threw him in prison until he's going to pay every last penny back. And you know what Jesus says about that? Uh, that has no place in the Christian life. Your father's going to do the same thing to you unless you forgive everyone from your heart, your brother from your heart. So, beloved, the, the good news tells us uh, very simply that if we're going to deal with our anger, one of the ways we need to deal with our anger and prevent revenge uh, is, by, is by sitting there and realizing we've been forgiven 10,000 talents. Put things into perspective. Look, when someone hurts you, uh, it, it, it amasses a debt. They harm you, they gossip you, they, they, they hurt you in some way. That's 100 denarii, it hurts. And the temptation is, I'm going to go choke them now. I'm going to put my hands around their throat and strangle them and put them in prison. I'm going to, I'm going to make them pay, right? Repayment, revenge. That's the temptation for us human beings. Where does the Christian go to combat that? You go to the cross. And what do we see there? I've been forgiven a debt that was 10,000 talents. It's an unpayable debt. That's where I have to go. That's where we have to go in order to be able to forgive rather than take revenge and give way to sinful anger. So I don't know what you're wrestling with or if you have in the past. I'm assuming many of us are going to be wrestling with this in the future at some point. But beloved, when revenge creeps up and we're tempted to, to go at it and just make somebody pay, we've got to keep things into perspective. We, we have to. And here's how we do it. You know, at the cross, I was forgiven a debt that is just unpayable because I sinned against a holy God billions and trillions of times, and I should be in hell, and that's what I deserve. And I should be suffering there right now. In fact, the very fact that I have breath in my lungs means I'm not there, which is even God's grace. That's where I should be. And God let go of that debt, but it doesn't mean he didn't incur the debt. No, no, now he's out 10,000 talents, and he paid the debt. You know where he paid it? He paid it at the cross. There's Jesus hanging in my place. 
there's Jesus. Instead of God taking revenge on me, they sinned against me, and now they're going to pay. They've stolen my glory. Now I'm going to get it back. Instead of God saying that about us, he actually says about his son. He actually makes his son pay our debt. He puts our punishment on his son, Jesus, so he can forgive us. Beloved, when that comes all the way into our hearts, that, that changes everything. It, it changes our anger. It changes our thoughts of revenge and says, if God didn't do that to me but forgave, well, then when I go out into the world, I need to forgive. I can't take revenge. And we have this additional comfort. You know what? On the last day, God will set it right. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you before you're ready to take revenge. You think, God is wiser than me. He's smarter than me. He's far more just than I am. So how dare I think that my revenge will actually be better than his on the last day? It, it just won't. And we'll all be satisfied with the pronouncement that he brings. And so God is basically saying this. You've been offended. You've been hurt. That's right. And he acknowledges that. But, but I want you to rest in something. I'll take care of it. You just have to be patient. Don't be sinfully angry. Don't take revenge. I'll deal with it. But you're going to have to wait. And you're not going to be able to fix everything in this life. You're not going to be able to make it all right in this life. You're going to have to wait. Vengeance is mine. I will take care of it. So for a Christian, beloved, that's tremendously freeing. Tremendously freeing when we're thinking about revenge. We can say, Lord, I just I commit the matter to you. I, I commit it to your hands. It's, it, you will do what is right. And I trust that on the last day, you'll make everything right. Well, then we continue looking. Paul walks into this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So more instruction regarding anger. So uh, there's two ways to take this. We can take this as a teaching which says literally uh, deal with your anger before you go to bed. Uh, the, the sun going down at night, when, even if you live in Alaska and there's sun 24 hours a day or pretty close to it, uh, deal with it before you go to sleep. Or uh, if we're going to take it figuratively, it just means deal with your anger uh, now as promptly as possible, as soon as possible. Don't put it off thinking it'll just go away. Don't pretend it's nothing, uh, but indeed get on top of it right away. I think there's, there, there's meaning to both. Maybe, maybe there's times when when we uh, couldn't deal with it that very day. But I, I think taking this literally is really helpful. Don't go to bed angry. Now, this doesn't mean that when we're angry with somebody, that by the end of the day, we need to be fully reconciled with them because that involves two people. And Paul's not saying be reconciled before the sun goes down. He's saying, do not let the sun go down on your anger, not somebody else's, but yours. Well, this is really helpful and freeing, beloved. What this means is if we're at odds with somebody or something's wrong or we see something in the world that really aroused our anger at home, at work, in the newspapers, I mean, wherever it is, what he's saying is you need to get yourself to a spot where you can think about this, process this, and deal with this before you go to bed at night. Don't, don't think I'm going to handle this later because it'll just form bitterness in your soul. And there'll be an undercurrent of anger that will, that, will, that will color everything in your life. Deal with it right at that moment. Uh, or deal with it before you go to bed at night. This might mean that we have to stay up a little bit later than we anticipated. <laughs> because if all of a sudden we become angry about something at 10 o'clock or 9.59 and our bedtime's at 10, 
uh, we might have to stay up for an extra half hour and process it. Something to know about anger, Spurgeon said anger is temporary insanity. Uh, anger temporarily almost takes our brain activity away. We say things, we look back and think, why did I ever say that? I never meant that. I should never have said that at all. It's temporary insanity. And what it does is it renders us unable to process anything correctly. It renders us unable to work through things uh, appropriately as Christians. And so what not letting the sun go down in your anger means, beloved, is that from the time we get angry to the time we go to bed at night, we're going to have to find some time when we can gather our thoughts, gather our emotions, and work through this and think about what's really going, why am I so upset about this? Why has this thrown me for such a curve? Do I love something too much? Am I idolizing something? Is this more about me than God's glory? Uh, uh, where have I gone wrong here? And, and process it and go before the Lord and cry out to Him and pray to Him. It doesn't mean that we're, we're praying, well, uh, Lord, don't make me angry about this. No, if, if something's gone really awry and really wrong and you're angry about it, that's good. Go to bed with that. But don't go to bed sinfully angry. That's what Paul's saying. Don't go to bed in a rage. Don't go to bed all distraught and all, all torn up uh, in anger deal with the anger and come to grips with it. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, always make sure that you never put your head down in your pillow to rest and sleep for the night with any spirit of bitterness or hatred or lack of forgiveness in your heart or mind or soul. You may have a great struggle with yourself. You may have to argue it backwards and forwards. Go on, I say, until you have realized the love of God in Christ to you, until you have seen Christ bleeding and dying on the cross that you might be forgiven. Dwell on it until you feel sorry for the one who offended you and until you forgive freely. Then, but not until then, get, your head, get into bed and put your head down on the pillow. So, beloved, I'd recommend taking this fairly seriously, well, obviously seriously, but fairly literally. What are you angry with? Is there someone that you have a grudge against? Is there someone that you haven't forgiven? That when... Their name comes up, all of a sudden you have a record of wrongs that comes right into your head. Oh, they're not good at this. They didn't do this. Yeah, they've got this whole thing. And, and, and I'm still going to, I'm still after them. I'm still going to make them pay. If that's in our mindset, beloved, then before the, the sun goes down tonight, deal with it. If you need to, go sit at the foot of the cross and see the one bleeding and dying for your bigger debt. And, and I know this is hard for us emotionally to get. But sins against us don't compare to our sin against God. hundred denarii, a few thousand bucks, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't compare to trillions of dollars that God forgave us. So, beloved, if you've been forgiven trillions and you have, if you've been forgiven an unpayable debt and you have as a believer in Christ, then everybody else's debts, because a sin against you is just a sin against a fellow sinner, not against a perfectly holy God. If someone sins against you, you have to let it go. The, the, Lord's, the Lord's prayer, right? Forgive me my debts as I forgive. In other words, if I'm not going to forgive somebody else, God is saying as it were, then, I'm, then you're not forgiven. In other words, one of the marks of a Christian, beloved, is this, forgiveness. It's one of the essential marks. Am I a Christian? Here's a great question to ask. How do I figure it out? Do I forgive others? Do I forgive? And I, I'm asking myself, I hope you're asking yourself, do you forgive? Do I forgive? It's absolutely essential to dealing with our anger before the sun goes down. And then finally, 
give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, the devil is our arch enemy. He's continually trying to drag Christians down. Paul is going to go into great detail at the end of Ephesians here, which uh, I'm looking forward to looking at with, with us, with, with you. Um, uh, he, he can't stand us. He wants to fill hell. Misery loves company. That's what he's trying to do. And one of the greatest ways that he can get a foothold, kind of grab onto your leg. I don't know if you've, uh, just think of trying to run a race with a 200-pound somebody just wrapped onto your ankle. <laughs> They've got a hold on you. You're not going to go very far. If you're really strong, you might make it 50 meters, right, before you wear out. But you're not running a marathon. You're not, you're not running this race, as it were. So when we are sinfully angry, the devil has a foothold. He's got a place to latch onto us and keep us from going forward. In other words, it's so possible to become, uh, it's possible to become so fixated, so obsessed, so over the top with anger that we can't think about anything else and that we destroy all the relationships around us and that the devil walks in and just has a party. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. If, if we're sinfully angry and we don't deal with our anger, the devil has a foothold and he's right in there. So if we have a temper, if we are wrestling with anger, understand this, the devil is right there. He is right there in our lives looking for a place to drag us down. He's right there thinking this, great, I'm going to use this to destroy their marriage, to destroy their, their relationships with their kids, to destroy their job, to destroy their witness in the community. He's right there scheming how he's going to do this, beloved. So where we're sinfully angry, uh, the call really here is to repentance, to turning it around. How many of us would let Charles Manson into our house? I realize he's dead now, but let, let's say three years ago, we were still. how many of us would, would actually uh, uh, put up a spare bed in our kid's room and let Charles Manson sleep there? <laughs> Nobody would, right? That, that'd be ridiculous. How many of us here are actually making a nice, comfortable room for Satan in our life because we're angry, angry and we just will not deal with it? We just won't come face to face with it. We just won't come to grips with it. Charles Manson is tame compared to Satan. Charles Manson is tame, beloved, compared to the devil, and not one of us would let him into our house to sleep at night in the same bedroom as our kids. So, so why are we not dealing with our anger? Why are we not coming to grips with it and just how much Satan is using it to destroy us, to destroy other people, and to advance his own kingdom as he's trying to do? So, beloved, again, uh, just sit at Calvary. If you're in the throes of anger, just sit at the cross. Look at it. Would you see where God's anger came down? It didn't come down on the passerbys at the cross. It didn't come down on, any of, on Peter or any of the other disciples that fled and ran away and got out of him and left him alone. His anger didn't come down even on Pontius Pilate or Herod. It didn't come down on the Jews that were standing in Pilate's court yelling, crucify him. It didn't come down on the Roman soldiers who was pounding the spikes in. God's anger came down on the Son. It came down on Jesus, and it all came out, and then it was over, and Jesus said, it's finished. That's how God dealt with his anger toward your sin and my sin, so we could be forgiven. Now, when you go out into the world, that's got to change us. It's got to melt our hearts. And so when people offend us, when we see things that are unjust, indeed have anger, but have compassion and have mercy as well. Let's pray.